Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. We're looking in a passage, Matthew 16, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and it's, it's actually a, one of those conversations that he has with his disciples that fascinates me every time I read it. Starting in verse 13 of Matthew 16, it says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That word prevail, uh, it's not a word that we use very often in, in modern day America. But the word prevail, it obviously means victory. It means getting a win. And uh, this last week, a, a really awesome prevailing took place in my life. Uh, here's the thing. You know a sports story is coming, right? And some of you are like, Kellen, I'm not into sports. Can you tell us? Hey, I got a buddy who is into food, and all his illustrations come up from food, okay? Be happy I don't like knitting or something, because I don't know how I would make that very exciting. But this last week, the Minnesota Twins were in a playoff series. And I, I love Minnesota Twins. I've loved them since I was a little kid. We would go to Minnesota Twins games at the Metrodome, and we'd pay three bucks a ticket, for, 15 bucks for all five of us to go to Twins game. I wish we could do that today. Um, but I've just been a fan for the, of the Twins my whole life. And when I was growing up, 1987, 1991, they won the World Series. And I remember it. I was six years old and 10 years old when it happened. I remember the 91 series like it was yesterday. Uh, game se- six and game seven, two of the greatest games ever. Game seven, they win one nothing in the 10th inning. I have never, like, I've never been more nervous watching a sporting event in my life. But then in 2004, something happened. The Twins stopped winning postseason games. It, it got really, really bad. So in 2004, we won the first game of our series against the New York Yankees. And we, I don't know if we have won a game against the Yankees since then. It's been really, really bad. So we lost the next three games, and we proceeded in the next 19 years. We got into the playoffs seven different times. We lost those three games. We lost four three-game series in a row. Then we lost in 2017 a one-game wild card. And then in 2020, we lost a two-game wild card series. Uh, Best of three, and we lost both of them. So 18 straight games in the last 19 years the Twins have lost. And every single time, my heart has been crushed. Every single time we get to postseason, and all I can think about is, I just want them to win one game in the postseason next year. That's like all I want. And so this week, they're playing against the Toronto Blue Jays on Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday, I think, was their second game. Wednesday was their second. I don't remember what it was. But all I remember is they won the first game, and I was excited is an understatement, okay? I'm in the car where actually I didn't get to see much of the game because I was at cross-country practice with my girls. And we get in the car, and I'm listening to, to the very end of the game. And I'm freaking out, like, like legit freaking out in the car. I'm yelling at the guy, come on, one more story. I'm just out of my mind. And 
as I'm driving, we get the third out, and I'm literally screaming for two minutes, you guys, to the point that my daughters, Abby and Cameron, they're like, Dad, stop it. You're so annoying. You're going to get in an accident. I'm like, it'd be worth it. Like, it's 19 years of pent-up frustration, people. 19 years, and I just, I was letting it out. In fact, we were, we were walking to the car, and I was, I was watching it on my phone, walking to the car through the high school parking lot, and I'm yelling things at the phone, and the girls are like, Dad, we're homeschooled. They're going to think we're even weirder. Stop it. They didn't say that. I was thinking it, though. Um, and so there's, there's something, when, when your team prevails... After a long time, man, there's, there's nothing better than that feeling. You know, and why do I, why do I talk about this? It's because of the last statement that Jesus said in this passage. Absolutely love it. He says in verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't know, but that to me sounds like a sure thing that Jesus is telling us there. That with him, like, There's nothing that's going to come against the church. The church is bound and set to win. That's just a promise that he's given to us in this passage. It's an exciting promise, I think. It's not one of those kind of guarantees that you see a lot of sports athletes make. They make a guarantee and then they look like a bunch of morons because they got it wrong and they lost. You don't want that. But Jesus is guaranteeing us something. He's saying... Hell is not going to prevail against the church. Now, I'm gonna, I think I want to believe Jesus when he says that. You know, and a lot of us, we look around at the world today, and we don't really believe this, I don't think. We look around, and we're like, man, the world is just going to this awful place. It seems like the gates of hell are actually prevailing. I want to believe this promise that Jesus is saying the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now, the question is, why won't the, why won't the gates of hell prevail against the church? What is Jesus saying in here that's given us this promise that we can believe? And he starts by asking his disciples a question. He asks people what people are saying about him. Can I just say, I don't ask that question to other people about me. I don't want to hear what other people are saying about me. I want to be blissfully ignorant of all that. But Jesus, he's just like, hey, what are they saying about me? And it's actually funny, their response um, I think it's a, a lot like the response that people today would actually talk about Jesus like. Verse 14, they say to him, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What's going on here? It, this is saying that the people around Jesus in his day who don't really know him, they see something good in him. They see that he is, they think he's a prophet. They, they think that he's, all his teaching, it's really, really good. There's something right, but it's like they aren't taking that extra next step of who Jesus actually is. They're almost there, but they're not quite there. Now, I haven't come across many people who have actually thought poorly of Jesus. The truth is, is when when you actually ask people, what do you think about Jesus? What it says in the Bible about Jesus, what do you think about him? I don't know if I've ever met anybody that's like, yeah, that Jesus from the Bible, seems like a tool. I don't like him. Never heard that. Now, what I do hear is I hear, oh, Jesus is pretty good, but his followers I kind of don't like. We've all heard that a little bit. It's, it's not Jesus that people look at and, and don't see the good. A lot of times it comes from us. But what happens is most people, they stop at just that little bit of good that they see in Jesus. They kind of stop it right there, and they don't go any further. 
See, if Jesus is anything less than master, savior, and Lord to you, then his place in your life, it is simply incomplete. Jesus is so much more than what all these other people around Jesus were saying that he was. He is so much more than that. And he was looking, he started kind of fishing with, with his disciples. Like, what do you guys, do you guys actually think that same thing? And so in verse 15 and 16, he said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter then replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That proclamation right there, I think it, it, it might, it's central to this passage. That proclamation might be central to the whole New Testament, to the whole gospel. Simon Peter saying, Jesus, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And this was, this was the kind of proclamation that wasn't being made at all. Nobody had, nobody had said this about Jesus up to this point. And probably a lot of times you guys have been in that situation where a kid has said something to you that was really awesome and you commended him for it and you're like, yes, that's really great. Way to go. Good job. I was in a situation one time where I got the opposite of that. I was in first grade. Um, and I was in my, my, first grader, my first grade class. My teacher's name was Miss Herrick. She still to this day is probably my favorite teacher I ever had. And Miss Herrick is up in front of the class and she looks at us and she goes, hey class, today we're going to work on, on spelling color words. And she turned around to walk back to the blackboard. And I just, I don't know why I wasn't ready to, to find out how to spell and, and read like the words red and blue and orange. I started booing really, really loudly. <laughs> Somebody was like, whoa, I know. I shouldn't have done that. But she turned around, I'm like, boo! And I'm sitting there thinking, why isn't everybody else booing? Like, this, this is dumb. We shouldn't be doing this today. And she turned around, and she, she looked, and Mrs. Herrick was like the nicest teacher, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I was a teacher's pet. We go out and play kickball every day, and I was really good, and she thought I was awesome. And she liked me, and she looked around, and she goes, who did that? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I ra you know, sheepishly raised my hand. She looks at me, and she goes, Kellen, you never boo ever for anything. Even at a sports game, you never boo for anything. And I'm... I wanted to start booing again. I'm like, what are, lady, what are you talking about? The, the, the six-year-old sports mind in me was like, you, you just boo for things that you don't like. That's what you should do. And so I was, I was annoyed that day. That was, that was one of the few moments in my life where, where I got really reprimanded by a teacher. But usually when you, when you say something good as a youngster, man, people commend you and they, they heap praises on you. That's what Jesus actually does here to Peter. I love what Jesus does here with Peter. You see, Jewish leaders would actually, they would, uh, they would give blessings to people when they said something good, when they said something right. And that's exactly what Jesus does to Peter. He gives a blessing on him. It says in verse 17, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So there's a couple of interesting things here in what Jesus said that I think that we need to flesh out. Uh, that first part where he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Uh, bar would mean son of. And so he's saying, Simon, son of Jonah. Interesting thing about this, Peter's dad's name is not Jonah. Peter's dad's name is John. John and Jonah, they're pretty similar, right? But I don't think he was actually talking about Simon, son of his, actually, his actual father. 
think what he was doing here is he was saying, calling him Simon, son of Jonah, because he was, he was making a connection between Peter and the prophet Jonah. Jonah was a person who went and he preached to his own generation. And in this, in this setting, what Jesus, I think, is trying to do is he's trying to say, Peter, you now are going to be one that's going to preach to your generation. You just proclaimed me as Jesus, as, as Christ, as the son of the living God. You now are going to go and be like Jonah was. You are going to preach to your generation. I love that blessing that he's given him. He's, he's saying, no, this is, now this is your time to do this. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Um, at first he was calling him Simon, and then he switches to the nickname that we all know Peter by, which is Peter. And Peter, you know, Peter's a name that we have nowadays, but really I think a better understanding of what the word Peter would be is if he had been given the name Rocky. Because Rocky and Rock, they sound very close to each other. And anybody who's named Rocky after that movie series, I'm telling you, you're cool to me, right? Now Peter, that the name Peter, it was actually Petros. Rock, actually, the word for rock in Greek was Petra. And so th there was this really direct correlation between Petros and Petra. And Jesus is trying to say, Peter, you are the rock. You're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. But even when we read that, you're the rock, there's a lot of confusion on what Jesus was actually meaning by you're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. Is he saying that Peter himself is the rock or is something about Peter the rock? And I'm, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to say I think it was something about Peter was the rock. You see, Peter is the rock, but he's the rock that Jesus is going to build his church on because of something that he does in this story. And what he did was he confessed Jesus as the Christ. That confession is the rock by which the church is built upon. The rock is, is, is this, this beautiful confession, Jesus as Lord, Jesus as the Son of the living God. As God who came into this world, even though he didn't have to, to live and to die for us. And so what does this all mean for us? I think it means that when Jesus, the true, the real Jesus, is proclaimed to the world around us, when, when Jesus in all of his perfection, in all of his glory, when that Jesus is proclaimed to the world around us, it's at that point that the church is going to prevail. It's at that point where the gates of hell are not going to be able to prevail against the church. You see, the problem for the church has never really been a lack of potential power in a world that's against God. The problem for the church has been presenting Jesus as something far less powerful and true than he really is. Jesus is so much more powerful than we realize. When people understand and know Jesus as he is, I have all the confidence in the world that their lives can be changed. Jesus is not like what a lot of the people before the disciples were saying about Jesus. He wasn't just a disciple. He was so much more than that. You know, it's funny, I think, how, how so many times throughout given cultures, you know, we have just, we've made Jesus out to be what he is not. We haven't made him to be as great as he actually is. You know, I grew up in a time where, man, if you listened to what is quote-unquote secular music, not Christian artists, and you listened to their music, man, you were made to think like you were going to be really looked down upon by God. My mom and dad grew up in a time where if they went to a theater and they watched a movie, 
Some people be like, I hope Jesus doesn't come back when you're at that movie theater because bad things are going to happen. That's crazy. The idea that we've given people about who Jesus is, this graceless being that wants it out for us, uh, it's, it's sad what we've done sometimes. Jesus is not a jerk. Jesus doesn't have a graceless hold on people. That if they do something wrong, even one little wrong thing, their soul is going to be in trouble for it. So many people have misconceptions about Jesus. I want you to think about the people in your life. Here, can I be really honest? I think every single one of us has misconceptions about who Jesus is. Some of them, it's, for me, it's growing up, and, and some of the things I was told, it's like some PTSD kind of stuff that comes on that, that we can't get over. We have these, these wrong images of Jesus. But if I have wrong images of Jesus, and I don't see him clearly, the Bible says we're, we're not going to be like Jesus until we see him clearly, which is when we will see him face to face. So if I have those struggles, how much do you think that people in your life have struggles about who Jesus actually is? Your coworkers, your kids, your mom and dad, your uncles and aunts, everybody. We have misconceptions about who Jesus actually is. See, the church and the people who are a part of the church, we are the ones sometimes who can do the most damage. But we can also help people see the real Jesus if we come around and figure it out ourselves. And that's why Jesus, I think, commended Peter in this story. Peter was the first one to figure out who the real Jesus was. Jesus was more than anything that anybody had realized up to this point. He was actually the Son of God. Can, man, I just, I can't imagine walking around with Jesus and walking around with a dude that you're like, this guy is God himself. That's a crazy thought. But that's what they got to experience. If the church is going to prevail, we have to present Jesus to people as Jesus actually is. He's better than anything that we could possibly dream up. But it also means that we have to figure out who Jesus really is. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians. And, and I think this gives a really good picture of, of how great this God that we love is. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 7 it says, But because of his great love for us, God, in, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I tell you, you, you read that passage and it is hard to see the Jesus sometimes that we get in our brains. That Jesus is incredible. So think about some of the people in your life. Think about the people in your life who think this God thing is fake. Think about the people who look at God and they think, there's no way that that's a good God if he allows the things to happen that he allows to happen. Think about those people that they think about God and they think that he's good, kind of good at his core, but he's not good enough for me to actually devote my life to, to give my life and my allegiance over to. And then you read this passage in Ephesians. Because he has great love for us, because he is rich in mercy, he's made us alive. And even though we were once dead in sin, he has now saved us. We have incomparable riches promised for us, expressed through us to us through kindness, which is shown through the person of Jesus Christ. 
my guess is that every single one of us, we've got people in our lives right now that as we're thinking about it, we're going, man, I, w- I just wish more than anything they understood this Jesus that I know. I wish that they knew Jesus the way that I know Jesus. Maybe there's some of you are like, I think I need to have my own understanding of Jesus reframed. There are days that I wake up and, and I have a lack of confidence for whatever reason I might have a lack of confidence in something. And I know that those days are the days that I'm seeing Jesus in a wrong light somehow. I'm seeing him maybe as, okay, he, he's going to accept me when my successes are in the right place. And so when my successes aren't in the right place, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm not prevailing anymore. I feel like there's a loss. We have to see Jesus the right way. And I love what, what Jesus says to Peter then in verse 17 of this passage. He says, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. You see what's going on there? I, I don't know if you catch it, but he's saying, you didn't figure this out on your own, Peter. You didn't figure out who I am on your own. Your Father in heaven helped you figure this out through the work of the Holy Spirit. We will not understand who Jesus is without the help and the work of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. The people in our lives will not understand Jesus in a transforming kind of way without the Holy Spirit actually working that in their hearts. And so, that means some stuff for us. What does it mean? It means that we have to keep asking God to open up the hearts and the minds of the people around us and ourselves to the reality of who Jesus actually is. Not just talking about asking, God, open up my heart today. Help me to know you a little bit more. I'm saying this is something that we do for everybody. When we're talking about pray, listen, do, we're praying for the people in our lives who don't see this Jesus the way that we see him. And then listening, okay, God, how is it that I can help that person see a little bit more? How can you use me so that the Holy Spirit can work through me to show them Jesus? We absolutely need the Holy Spirit's help and guidance to see the true Jesus like he is. But here's the thing I love about this passage. Jesus is promising us something. He is promising us that the truth of him as the rock, the truth of him in all of his perfection, all of his glory, when we see that like that, we are going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. I just, that one came into my head just now. Um, we're going to see a victory when we see Jesus right. His people will see victory. His church will see victory. And we cannot be defeated. That's a hard thing for us to hear because every single one of us, we experience defeat every single day of our lives. And sometimes we get to the point, I think, where we're like, I don't think I can find victory. We have the promise right here in this passage. We will have victory. So the question is, what do I need to prevail for Jesus? Answer is pretty simple, I think. Make Jesus the foundation of all that matters to you. Let him be the rock that you stand on in absolutely every circumstance. Peter called Jesus the son of God, Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, that's all it is right there. That is the rock. Stand on that rock. Let everything else sink away. Nothing else matters except for that, what you just said right there. Knowing the true Jesus, it is going to change you. The true Jesus is going to bring victory in our lives. The true Jesus is going to bring victory in our church. The thing is, this is not just for you and me in this room right now. 
I, I, love these, I love these shirts. I love this, this concept that we're talking about. I love my church. Here's the reason why, why I love this church. I love this church because this church is about Jesus. And it's about other people outside this church knowing Jesus. Our focus is to know Jesus and to make him known. That is something that we can find value in. That's a reason why we can love this church, because this church wants to put Jesus first. Now, is this church perfect? No way. There's not a church I've ever been in that's perfect. But I believe as we all, 100% of us, start going after Jesus and listening to him in our lives and letting Jesus work through us to show people who he is, things are going to happen. You can speak well of Jesus to the people in your lives. You can speak well of his grace by being a person of grace to the people that you know. You can speak well of the kindness of Jesus by choosing to be kind like Jesus is when that person that you're talking to is being anything but kind. You can speak well of the compassion of Jesus when everybody's walked by that person who needs a little compassion and you're the one that's there that can give that compassion. We can speak well of who Jesus actually is by what we are. To be honest with you, we can also speak poorly of Jesus by who we are and by what we do. But I want to see, I want to see each and every one of us become part of this prevailing church. I want to see every single one of us become part of what God is calling us to be. And I believe that we can do it. Again, our aim it is to declare Jesus above everything else in this world. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.